We've started a study on in Sunday school on the Psalms uh, last Sunday, and want to encourage you. If you don't normally come to Sunday school, if that would be, a, uh, I'm sure it'd be a great help to uh, go through the Psalms with us. And I want to encourage you either to come and be a part of our Sunday school hour at 10 o'clock, or uh, you can listen to it online on our Facebook or on Sermon.net, either one. And want to encourage you to uh, be a part of that. Uh, study. It'll be a great help to you, I think, and certainly encouraging. Second <coughs> Timothy chapter number one, and uh, we're going to read the first six verses together. Number Second uh, Timothy chapter number chapter one and verse number one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. And Jesus Christ our Lord. I know we read these salutations oftentimes, these greetings. But what, a, what a great way to greet someone. For God's grace and His mercy and His peace to be with them. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we pray for one another for God's mercy and His grace and His peace to be in our lives. He says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Father, we pray that you'll bless uh, the teaching of Your Word this afternoon. May it be a help and encouragement to us. And Lord, may we, may we apply and implement it into our lives. That we can become more of what You would want us to be. We can be more pleasing to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> We've seen a steady decline uh, among uh, our society in our lifetime. And, and I've been appalled. I've been, I was talking with someone the other day and how quickly it seems our society has uh, declined in its morality, uh, in its respect for God and the things of God. Uh, I was talking to a fellow just down the road here the other day, and I said, you know, there used to be a time when I was a kid where even people who didn't go to church uh, would not vandalize churches. They wouldn't come and steal things off the property or break into the buildings just because there was a respect among people generally for God and the things of God. But we're living in a day where they certainly have trampled God underfoot and caused a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of things to go uh, contrary to Scripture. And we ought not be surprised by it. It ought to be disappointing to us. But the Bible tells us that the world will wax worse and worse, that there's going to be a decline. And so we understand from Scripture it's going to be so. And I... I think a lot of times in our minds that we get the idea, boy, if our, if, our, uh, if our leaders of our country would just make the right laws, if they would legislate the right things, if we could get the right uh, civil servants in our, in our communities, that all of these moral problems and issues uh, that are against Scripture would be solved, if we could just get the right people in place. But I will tell you this, you cannot legislate morality. Morality has got to be something that comes from a transformed heart. Uh, we're all sinners by nature. Our hearts are, have a sinful tendency by nature. 
And I'm thankful that God saved us from our sin and gives us the way to escape sin in every temptation, by the way. We don't always choose it, but He always provides that way of escape. But uh, we're living in a day where, even as God's people, oftentimes we, we are critical of the fact that our, our government isn't what it should be, our leaders are not what they should be. And the truth of the matter is, it really stems from our churches. Uh, we've, we've seen a decline of the power of God resting on the churches and the, and the people of God uh, in, this, in this generation, in this lifetime. In fact, for the last several generations, we've uh, noticed a decline. Uh, there are more and more young people that graduate high school and go to college and get out away from home that, that drop out of church and don't ever want to be a part of church. Uh, and it's amazing to me how often it seems we uh, blame things other than what the real problem is. There's a decline in, in the leadership uh, of churches and, and the things of, of the nature of God in the world that we live in, especially here in the United States of America. And I was talking with uh, one of our men the other day, and I can't remember which one it was. It might have been a couple of you that I was talking to. But it seems that there has been a a decline of sound doctrine and a desire for sound doctrine. There's been a decline and a departure from God's Word, uh, even in churches. People that won't even use the Bible today, that will get up in a church service, and they will teach people how to uh, feel good about themselves and how to, how to better their lives. And they will never one time take the Bible out and say, here's what the Bible says about things. And so we're living in a time where there's a kind of a pattern that, that takes place. Uh, and we have preachers oftentimes is where it starts because uh, they are the, the under-shepherd of Christ. They're the ones that God has put in place to help direct and to shepherd the flock of the church. And it, I would have to say this. In fact, uh, Dr. Lee Robertson used to say it years ago. He said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And there certainly is a, 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 a link... There, there's something that is attached to the leadership of our churches that so goes the pastor, so goes the church oftentimes. And uh, we're living in a day where a lot of pastors have departed from the doctrine of God's Word. They've departed from God's Word. And the reason for this is one of two things. Either they are ignorant of the need for sound doctrine. They've never been taught the urgency and the, 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 the dangers that there are when you get away from sound doctrine. And so they don't... They don't really see the importance of it. Or those that maybe do know the importance of it are just simply lazy. And they don't want to do the study. They don't want to do the work to delve into Scripture and to, to gain scriptural knowledge of doctrine, to be able to teach people. And we've equated success in our churches uh, on three things. Uh, our attendances, our offerings, and our facilities. And those are usually the three measurements that most churches use to say, well, God's blessing, we've got so many people in our church. Or God's blessing, we have this much in our offerings. Or God's blessing, we're in a new building program. Now, I will say this. If God chooses to increase the number of the church, that certainly is God's blessing. If God does bring offerings in, that certainly is God's blessing. If God gives a building program, that certainly is God's blessing. But that is not the measure of success of a church. The measure of success of a church is found in Ephesians chapter number 4, where, he said, where, where Paul said that, he, that God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's the purpose of the church. That's the measurement of success of a church. 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It is the maturity of the Christian, the growth of the Christian in the pews of our churches that is the measuring stick of of whether a church is, is doing things God's way or not. The reason we don't like to use that measure of success is because it takes so long to get a measurement. It may take sometimes years to see if God's people have matured under the teaching and the preaching of that particular church. Are they growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord? Are they hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Are they getting an appetite and a desire to get into God's Word and to learn more and to study more about it? And so pastors, either because of their ignorance or because of their laziness, have neglected the pure doctrine of God's Word to be able to have sound doctrine. And they do that, and, and, and they, they begin to teach um, a lot of times preference, uh, a lot of times they begin to teach their thoughts, their ideas. And by the way, any time a preacher gets up and teaches you something that it cannot be found in Scripture, it is his opinion and not God's authority. But because these pastors are lazy or because they are ignorant, they it leads the church and the, those that are listening and those that are part of that church to biblical illiteracy. They don't have a desire for the things of God. They don't bring their Bibles. They don't, they don't have a Bible with them. Uh, they don't have a way to look up Scripture when the preacher's preaching. They don't have time during the week where they read the Bible. Because if the pastor doesn't have a, 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 a priority on it, if he doesn't put an emphasis on the Word of God, then there's no, there's no uh, driving and, and encouraging the people to go to the Word of God. And so we begin to have biblical illiteracy. And that leads us then to a lukewarm or a cold church body. A church like Laodicea who thinks because of their facilities and their offerings and their attendances that they are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But they don't realize that they are poor and wretched and miserable, that they're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And so the laziness or ignorance of pastors leads to biblical illiteracy. Biblical illiteracy leads itself to a cold and lukewarm church. Cold and lukewarm churches will lead to a breakdown in the doctrine of the church. And this is where we begin to have a lot of immorality come into the church. The world begins to replace what used to be the doctrine of God's Word. And we begin to bring the world into the church. We bring the world's entertainment in. We bring the world's philosophies in. This is how men can get up in churches, in, in, in what they call to be churches today, and say that, uh, that, uh, that same-sex marriages and, and the idea of, of uh, the, uh, the lesbian and gay movements are okay inside the church doors when God's Word says it's not. Why did they get to that point? Because a pastor did not, did not lead the church in sound doctrine, did not put the emphasis on the Word of God, and because of that, it led to apathy, it led to some cold and, and lukewarm churches, it led to biblical illiteracy, and because the people didn't know their Bibles, and because the churches were lukewarm and cold, it led to a breakdown of their doctrine. So now they're replacing it with worldly philosophies and with social justice issues. And this causes the relationship with God to suffer. Their personal walk with God is either non-existent or stale at best. There's no fire, there's no excitement, there's no zeal of the Christian life. They come to church because it's the church their mom and their grandmother and their great-grandmother belonged to or their, their family belonged to or so-and-so in the family was there as a founding member of the church. And that's why they go to that church. 
People most of, the, most of the time will not be able to give you a good answer as to why they go to a church. Sometimes it's because they have a, a great-looking pastor like you do, or an athletic pastor like you have, and uh, one that, that is a likable person like you have. And those are oftentimes, believe it or not, and I know I, I make light of it somewhat, but folks, that happens. People will join the church or leave a church because the pastor is somebody they like. That is never, never a requisite for a church. Sound doctrine, pure doctrine is, is the, the requirement for a church. If you ever leave this church, I hope we leave on good terms, but if you ever do leave this church, find a church that is sound in its doctrine. Not the pastor that looks good or sounds good or acts good. You find one that teaches right. Why? Because they have a personal breakdown in their relationship with God. When their personal relationship breaks down, then we begin to see family problems. In every time that I have ever counseled a family that has been struggling or has been on the verge of breaking up, every time, the very first session, and if you ever come to me for counsel, I'll go ahead and give you the first session. Alright, here it is. How is your personal walk with God? Until that, is issue, that, that issue is settled, everything else we try to deal with is not going to take effect. Because I'm going to use this book. And if your personal walk with God isn't what it should be, you're not going to listen to what this book has to say. And so we see a family breakdown because doctrine has suffered. The family breakdown happens, then we begin to see a hostility towards anything that's authority. Somebody comes along and says, if you'll just do what the Bible says, uh, it'll get better. Well, I'm not going to listen to that. I don't want to have to do what the Bible says. And we begin to get calloused and begin scornful, to be scornful towards the Bible. And we begin to have hostility towards authority. Then there comes a rise in ungodly practices. Because we have an attitude against uh, the authority of God's Word because we have an attitude against the authority of God's doctrines, and we begin to behave in an ungodly way. And if we continue in this, it leads to eventually a spirit of apathy, or what the Bible refers to as, as a cold spirit, or a callous spirit, or one who is beyond feeling. They just don't care anymore. By the way, we're seeing a lot of people that are somewhere on that path in our society today. That brings me to our text this afternoon. Paul told Timothy in verse number 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now, I want us to look at a couple of things here. First of all, God, or Paul likens the gift of God that was in Timothy to a fire. He's talking about stirring up embers here. And he likens this gift of God that he speaks to as, as a fire... And there's two things that are, are dealt with here that need to happen with, with this idea of a fire. And that is, first, it has to be maintained. It has to be maintained. And notice in verse number 6, he says, Wherefore I put thee in what? Remembrance. Remembrance. Timothy wasn't ignorant of this gift of God. He just had forgotten some things. He says, I want to put you in remembrance. There has to be a maintenance of this thing. There has to be a daily understanding of this. And then there has to be a feeding of this. You can't just throw a log on the fire and walk away from it, come back three days later and it still be burning. There has to be a maintaining of that fire. There has to be a stirring. There has to be a cleaning out of the ashes. There has to be new fuel being put on the fire. And can I say this? In the Christian life, 
There has to be some of that clearing of the embers, the waste, the things that aren't, ought not be in our lives. There ought to be some clearing of that. There ought to be some cleaning to our life. And then there ought to be putting more of the Word into our hearts and more of the Holy Spirit's uh, liberty to work as we surrender our will to Him. There ought to be a stirring up. We talk of revival. We talk of, uh, of God doing something. We talk about God's presence coming and, and mighty and, and might and in power. And, and the truth is, we say, we say boy, I hope God sends revival, and, and boy, I sure hope He sends it over there. But it's not over there. I'll tell you this. It's not in the men's meeting. There's nothing unique about Brother Tully that's going to bring revival. There's nothing unique about the set of services in the, in the, uh, the, the Saturday and the Friday that we're going to meet that's going to bring revival. What's going to be revive, bring revival is when our hearts are called to remembrance that there needs to be some cleaning out of the fire, some maintaining of it, and some stirring up of it, and some feeding of it. And Brother Mark and Brother Kenny and some of the other men have been meeting and praying for our men's retreat. And I will say this, God moves in answer to prayer. And I'm not discounting prayer. But can I say this, that until we get to the place where we understand that God needs to do something in my heart, revival will not come. Paul stirs up Timothy by way of remembrance. Now I want you to understand this. Was it Paul's responsibility to stir up that gift that was in Timothy? No. Paul didn't say, I'm going to stir it up. What did he tell Timothy? He said in verse number 6, look what it says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift. I've heard a lot of people say, boy, if that preacher just had a little more fire, it'd really light my fire. Can I tell you this? Your fire ought to already be lit. The pastor ought to just be there to fan the flames. He ought to be the one there to try to help along the way. But that fire is something that every one of us is responsible that we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, that we give ourselves to it, that we say, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit to do a work in my heart. If you will, take a moment and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3. <coughs> <coughs> Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 1, Peter writes this, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Now, again, I'm going to hit three things here from this verse. Number one, the stirring up is something that, if we're responsible for it, we need to understand this, that the stirring up is a matter of the heart. Notice what it says here in, uh, in verse number 1 of chapter 3. In both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. That there needs to be something that is done in our minds, in our hearts, that is stirring it up. It is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of the minds. a matter of the will, if you will. The stirring up of God in our hearts is not something that is an external thing, but something that is an internal thing. It's not trying to, to shout the loudest or to run the most laps around the church. That may happen as a result of it, but that should never be the equating of it. There needs to be a stirring of the heart. 
There's something about the heart that Jeremiah said. In Jeremiah chapter 17, he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need to ask God, help us to stir our hearts. Help them be stirred and on fire for You. I like what a preacher said one time years ago about revival. <clears throat> we can't make God send revival. God will send revival when and where He chooses to. He said, all we can do is set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit should He choose to blow upon them. Are we ready for the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts? As we approach a men's meeting or as we approach a Sunday morning service, it doesn't matter. Are we ready for the Holy Spirit to catch the wind of our sails? Are we ready for God to do a work in Sunday school when we come on Sunday mornings? We, we kind of almost get to the point where we don't expect revival to happen in a regular service. It has to be a special service. Can I tell you this? Revival can happen when God chooses to bring it and when hearts are right with Him. Some of the great revivals of yesteryear started with men who stood and read in a monotone voice with no PA system in very uncomfortable and hot conditions. They would read in a monotone voice with no expression because they did not want to bring attention to themselves in the pulpit. They wanted all the focus to be on God's Word. They wanted all the work to be done by the Holy Spirit and not by some dynamic pulpiteering and some kind of a manipulating work that the, that the preacher did. He wanted the Holy, they wanted the Holy Spirit to do a work. Nowadays, we feel like we have to have a certain band on the platform or certain speaker in and turn the lights a certain way and advertise a certain way, and then we believe a revival will come. Can I tell you, revival will only be a matter of the heart. It will never be the externals. I want you to notice this. Not only will it be a matter of the heart, but it will be a matter of the pure heart. Look what he said in verse number 3. He said, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. There needs to be a maintaining of that fire. There's some coals, there's some embers, there's some ash that needs to be gotten out of the way. There are some spots from the world that have gotten on us that need to be dealt with. There are times where we have been entangled with the affairs of this life that need to be unentangled. There needs to be a purity of heart. There needs to be a purity of mind. The Bible tells us that there are two things that we can do to stop the Holy Spirit's work. We can grieve Him and we can quench Him both of which happen when we do not live holy, righteous, and pure. If God's going to allow us to stir up our hearts, we need to understand that it's going to be a matter of the heart, not just externals. We can't just make it happen outwardly. It's going to have to be a transforming work on the inside. It's going to have to be of a pure heart. And then I want you to, I want you to understand this. And we saw this both in Second Peter chapter 3. We saw it also... In 2 Timothy chapter number 1. He says this, verse number 1 of chapter 3, 2 Peter, "...in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of what? Remembrance." What did Paul tell Timothy? By way of what? Remembrance. Can I say this? There has to be a constancy. Constancy of the heart. 
there needs to be a constant pursuit of God. And when that, when that, when that ember begins to wane, when it gets cool, when we begin to not get as much out of the preaching, when we don't seem to get as much out of our personal devotion time, when we don't seem to get as much as we read Scripture as we used to do, we need to say, Lord, stir my heart again. I remember those times that Your gift was blazing in my heart. That there was a zeal and a fire that couldn't be quenched. I don't know if you remember the day you got saved, but boy, something happened. And there was a joy there, and there was a freshness there, and there was something that was spectacular about that day. But if we're not careful, we'll allow those embers to grow cold. Why? Because we failed to stir up the gift that was in us. When we get saved, God gives us the Holy Spirit of God. The gift of God that's put inside of us. A new man, a new nature. The Holy Spirit Himself. This new nature is what needs to be fed. It needs to be maintained. As Paul said it, it needs to be stirred up. It needs to be stirred up. I love men's advances. I hope and long for God to do a great moving in our men's advances. I really do. But revival's not going to come because we schedule a men's advance. Revival's going to come when God chooses to send it and when our hearts are stirred up for Him. When there is a purity of heart, when there's a constancy of heart, when there's a, a hunger and a thirst for God to do a work in our hearts. In Isaiah chapter number 53, God was speaking and He said, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And I think of that often when I think of revival because a lot of times our prayer to God when it comes to revival is, Lord, here am I. Give revival to that person right there. He sure needs it. I hope we're standing in front of a mirror when we say that. Because revival needs to start right here. It's not going to happen because we print up a lot of flyers and put out signs and invite a lot of people to come to a meeting. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that is in me. It's there. It needs to be maintained. It needs to be fed. And it needs to be stirred up. Can I encourage us this week, as we go through the week, Next Sunday as we come to church. Next Wednesday night as we come to church. I think every time we come and meet corporately around God's Word, we ought to come with an expectation that God is going to do something great. We've become so accustomed to coming and God not doing anything in our hearts. And we can blame a lot of things. We can blame the pastor. We can blame the lack of good music. We can blame the lack of uh, the size of the crowd or the facilities. Folks, that's not what revival is. Revival is when God stirs up our heart again. And there's a transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, I pray that You will take...
these words of charge and exhortation and encouragement. And Lord, we do long for You to do a great work. May You help us to look inwardly to our own hearts. And may You do a work in us. Father, I pray that You'll dismiss us with Your blessings, but as we go through our week, may we not soon forget this message. May we meditate and dwell upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.